The following episode of Afternoon Delight looks at domestic abuse and relationships and heavily focuses on domestic abuse. If you are at any point affected by this, I would air caution when listening to this episode. If you are concerned for your own safety or for safety of someone else, you can contact the National Domestic Abuse Helpline at 0808 2000 247. That is 0808 2000 247. Thank you. Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists. Hello, hello everyone. Well, thank you so much before I start to Rob Madge for giving an amazing interview and episode. It was really, honestly, so much fun. I'm sure that Rob and I will cross paths again in the future, I would hope. And we honestly loved having Rob on the podcast so much. And lots of love to him and his family right now in England and any of my English listeners or any of my international listeners. Who knows, you know, Christina Bianco, if you're listening, love you, hen. Let's collaborate. (laughs) Okay, jokes aside, though, the next um, interview got quite intense. It was... Really good, actually, because there was a lengthy discussion on domestic abuse, as you'll have heard at the beginning of the episode. This is something that I have touched on briefly in my work, that I, unfortunately, um, uh, due to a family experience, was the witness of domestic abuse for quite a while. And as well as this, I had went through some difficult relationships, that there was a um, misuse of trust and what I would consider now abuse, actually, in a lot of relationships I was in, about two of them, seriously, and although I wouldn't want to talk about it personally on this podcast, because that's not what I'm here to do, this isn't really a story that I want to share right now in my life, I will say the next guest, oh, this was quite an inspiring interview in all honesty, Um, she is such a, a, a soldier, and a survivor, I would be honest, a survivor. I hate using the word victim. I never have liked the word victim in anything to do with abuse. Survivor is the right word. And I'm so excited to read her book when it's eventually published. I also think that the work she's doing outside of her writing, which again is amazing during this pandemic, is exceptional. I think she's so poignant in the way she speaks. And there's such a raw truth to a lot of the things she discusses, particularly her and her last partner splitting up and staying friends really inspired me because I've only ever stayed friends with one person that I went out with and I really found her just inspiring. I know I keep saying that word, but I can't keep thinking of different words, actually. Um, She is so incredible. I'm welling up, actually. I'm really sorry. I just, I, I, I listened to this earlier and I got really emotional. She is so incredible. I look forward to us having a long-lasting friendship and potential work relationship after this. And please give your warmest welcome and listening ears to the amazing Lauren Aitchison. I've just interviewed the beautiful and gorgeous Rob Madge. And now I've got another fucking starlet who I absolutely love to pieces. We are both in our jammies for this. I'm going to tell you, FYI. She might be annoyed that I've told everyone that, but we're feeling it tonight. We just want to be in our jammies, have a wee slumber party for two, and it's the gorgeous and talented writer, Lauren Aitchison. 
Hello, I'm so excited and I'm very excited to be able to do something in my pyjamas. I've been trying to get dressed up for work so that I feel like I'm at work. So I'm yeah. really excited to be sitting in my jammies. That's totally brilliant. And let me just check because I am so tired tonight. Like I did pronounce your name correct, didn't I? You did, yes. I've heard, I've heard it all. Atkinson. It's like, it's pronounced exactly the way it's spelt, but still I get Atkinson, Atkinson. Yeah. <laughs> You did, yes, you did pronounce it properly. Oh, that's brilliant. And the thing is with mine, obviously, because Delight, everyone all corrects Delight with one E. And I've often <laughs> been like, I should just take that extra E out. <laughs> no one wants to have it. But I'm an ex-raver, so you know, I like to keep it there for a wild one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining me, Lauren. Honestly, this is just great to have you. We've not spoken for quite a while, actually. Like, we haven't seen each other in quite ages, have we? I think it's been three years since I saw you. That's it. Three years and so much to catch up on, which is why this is so great to have you on the podcast. So for my listeners, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. I'm Lauren Aitchison and I'm a Scottish writer and my day job, I work for a member of the, um, sorry, I was about to say member of the Scottish Parliament. I was doing that until September. Now I work for a member of the UK Parliament and I live in Edinburgh. That is just fantastic. And I'm so intrigued to see kind of where this interview goes because you've got quite two different jobs, but I can kind of see how they would probably come together in a way. I quite like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, I know it's quite odd. I suppose what I do is, is I, was in, I was in customer service for like a million years. And I suppose what I do now is not that different from that anymore. It's just a little bit more high stakes, um, I suppose. But um yeah, this was the kind of writing that I do is inherently political, I suppose. So, yes, so they complement each other quite well. Oh, writing with a challenge. I like that. It <laughs> has to have a purpose and challenge. That's great. Um, so let's get straight into this. We're totally relaxed. We're feeling it. I'm loving it. Um, you know, where did you grow up and study and work in kind of, you know, part-time jobs, a teenager or anything? What did you kind of do before you decided to go down the, um, the route of writing? I'm originally from Linlithgow and then uh, when I was wee we moved up to Ailith which is a little town um, near Dundee and then I, I've lived in a lot of places, I'm not going to list everywhere I've lived. I lived in Aberdeen sort of on and off, I've lived in Aberdeen four separate times, I lived in London for a year um, but I ultimately studied at Adam Smith College in Kirkcaldy which is now Fife College um, and I lived up north near Elgin for five years. <laughs> I, yeah, I have lived in a lot of places. Um, but I suppose I started writing when I lived in Perth, I suppose. That's when I was uh, studying to be a journalist. So that's, yeah, I've lived all over. That's amazing. And you know, it's so interesting. You know, I know you say you don't want to list everywhere you've lived, but <laughs> I had a friend growing up at high school that she constantly moved house. That was her thing. She lived in, I think, when we were... First to fourth year, she'd lived in like seven different flats because her mum just never liked the flats they would get um, from social housing. She would cause like, the flat's not good enough, we need to move to an exchange. And um, it's so interesting hearing that. If you could count how many cities you've lived in altogether, how many would there be? Are we talking single, double, triple digits? <laughs> I think we're, in we're probably in double di digits for places I've lived um, and then higher double digits for the number of actual flats and houses I've lived in I mean I've lived in four or five houses by the time I started high school wow so. I know I'm a child of divorce yeah <laughs> are you right <laughs> so that's I'd be like yeah, I've, um, I've, I finally had my week when I'm a dick 
not at all. Oh. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of why all the moves when I was younger, and then I just couldn't seem to settle. Um, so yeah. Like, so I, I did zip about, but I've, I've, kind of, I've really liked it though. Um, and hopefully, I'm hoping to settle properly in Edinburgh now. And I've hoped to always eventually live here because this is where I was born. Um, so it's nice to be back. Although not that I'm seeing much of it right now, but. <laughs> I know what you mean, because we were talking about this earlier when we joined the podcast and started recording that, you know, it feels very much like the weekend right now. We're wanting to get ready for the weekend and we're saying how long the week feels, but then we get to about Friday and we're like, and we've got nothing to do now. We can't go to CC's and get on the wine. We can't go to, um, you know, lunch with the gals and then have a day session leaf walk. You, you can't, you know what I mean? It's, you're on I know, the- I'm looking at my, my sad, sad clothes and my wardrobe that aren't getting worn. That's actually one of the things that makes me the saddest is that I keep going in just taking out the same jumpers and same leggings and all my sequins are like hanging up in my wardrobe just looking really depressed. Oh my God, I'm so glad you said this because obviously I've not done drag for about three weeks and I've been the same. I've been wearing a black jumper, a blue jumper, skinnies, thermals because it's freezing outside, like right now. Um, I've been like, oh, I don't want to do drag. And I've got to do, it's really cute. I'm, this weekend, I'm working with um, a group of elderly women in their 60s. Oh. And we're for the next few weeks doing like a fashion show that they're going to put on TikTok. Oh. Yeah. That but- sounds amazing. Yeah, it's so cute. They want me to teach them how to do, like, drag and be models. And I kind of was like, you've came to the wrong drag queen for that. But they're, you know, they're 60-plus, and they were kind of like, we want to do makeup for older women. And I went, well, I can do that. That's my drag. <laughs> that's adorable. But it's it's lovely. And I think for me right now, that's a nice purpose to have every weekend that I'm getting in drag, but actually they're paying me, and it's for a purpose, and it's a nice thing to do right now. Yeah, I yeah. totally get what you mean. Like, you know, it, it's so... It's difficult to be motivated, especially right now. And for my listeners listening, you might feel like, oh God, it's it's just so difficult right now. And it is, I won't lie to you. I'm, I don't pussyfoot with these things. I'm just very to the point with that. That it is hard, but it is moments like these and little things that we can be grateful for, which is why it's so great to have you on this interview, Laura, because we're going to talk about some things that some people might find a bit difficult to hear, but I'm glad that you'll come and share your story with that. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'll do my best. Oh, you're welcome. So what can kind of go to writing because I know you've said you went and studied at um, Adam Smith which is so funny because I'm now working with on Fife Cultural Trust which is in Fife um, and it's it's interesting to hear that you went to college there first to study so like you know what got you into it and what made you think do you know what I want to pursue this um oh, I'm like I think most writers we're always like we're always like oh I don't know I just can't remember not writing it's just like such a part of me um <laughs> that's what we're all like it's so disgusting um so well I originally went to university uh, when I was 17 and dropped out and then I went to college in Aberdeen and I dropped out so and then I went back and then college took the third time when I was in my 20s um but I really really wanted to write but I have no imagination <laughs> Um, thank I got that from my mum so thank you um, so journalism seemed like a way that I could do that and I ended up not going into journalism ultimately um, and then I was obviously given this horrific life experience um, that I could use to write a book about so I don't know what I'd be doing without without that um, but yeah I sort of yeah went through my horrible domestic abuse and then it it was sort of a gift in a way that sounds horrible but it sort of gave me a way to channel my writing and I don't know what I'm going to do after I've written this book and I have finished mining that experience but I'm quite excited as well. I think honestly this is why I'm so glad I've got you on because we never <laughs> we've never touched this subject 
on my um, podcast and I, I'm so glad that in a way it kind of naturally happened that I didn't go right I want to go and find someone that went through this and get them on I I wanted to get you on because you're fantastic and then I came across the article that had been written and then saw your pinned tweet when I went on your Twitter and went oh and that's why I said to you delicately in the email like would you be comfortable talking about this because it'd be great but obviously if you're not this is this is about you ultimately. And that is why I find this quite an inspiring interview to do. And we've not even kind of got in, into it yet. So thank you so much. So would you mind, you know, as, as comfortable as you are, would you mind just kind of talking about how you came to write your book and what kind of happened? Um, yeah, so the book's not quite finished yet. My third draft is going to my editor in March. Um, and I'm sure we'll get onto that whole situation with um, Penguin Random House. Um, but I've basically written the book that I couldn't find for myself after I got out. Like there are lots and lots of really incredible textbooks and lots of books about the mentality of the abuser. And there are also some really fantastic memoirs, but they're very much um, about the more extreme end of domestic abuse. And I couldn't find anything that was just for uh, the everyday abuse victim, <laughs> because I think in a lot of ways when you're in it, um, a lot of domestic abuse is actually quite mundane and quite you just get used to the routine of it. So I wanted something that um, that would be helpful for people who didn't experience the most extreme end of um, physical abuse. And I've had such a big reaction to just articles I've done here and there from from people who didn't even realise that they were victims. So I. I'm really hopeful that I'm going in the right direction with it. And uh, also my mum kind of made me. I sort of just kept, she kept saying, you have to you have to write a book, you have to write a book. And uh, so she really encouraged me. And then obviously I got accepted onto the writing programme that I was on with Penguin, um, which sort of just kick-started everything. Yeah. And it's so interesting. So I gave a webinar for the Scottish Trade Union Centre and I talked about um, disability accessibility. But before I did that, they, they invited me to a... Uh, discussion and webinar on domestic abuse in the work environment from home because obviously people in domestic relationships have had to work from home and mm -hmm. that was an eye-opener for me because they were like you don't have to attend if you don't want it's free and I went no I do need to attend this because I am single now but I was in a lot of relationships that one of them kind of got on the borderline of abusive mentally like you know um it, it wasn't acceptable kind of what was actually going on further further I came away from that I didn't actually realize. And it was when I went into jobs, working as a facilitator with kind of young people that were vulnerable, I started going, hang on here, actually, this is like the training you get on abuse. And I'm thinking, fuck me, I've went through this myself, but luckily I'm not in that position now. Um, yeah. Just gotten out of it. And but I thought to myself, this is stuff that I need to be clued up on. And then a lot of my listeners will not know this, but I grew up in quite a volatile environment for different reasons. and experienced domestic abuse in a home environment for quite a long period of my life. A close friends will know this, but other people won't, which is why I'm so glad we get to talk about this, because this is a part of myself I've never even shared with people. And, you know, speaking to other people that are survivors from that really inspires me. It's a kind of personal chord, but it also just kind of brings me back to the fact that with that webinar, I was like, right, I want to know because if my friends are going for this and they can't tell me, and they, they want me to know somehow, you know, that will help. And it was it was really eye-opening being a part of this webinar, speaking to different women from representatives and speaking to people that went through it. It was really powerful. And I was very empowered by 
particularly the women that went through it especially um and were you a take it in sort of a domestic abuse relationship then yes six years six years long time years. so I met him when I was uh, 19 and got out when I was nearly 26 and then um, I had like a year, but I still didn't, when I left, I still didn't know it had been abusive. My mum made me go and get counselling. And um, so I had a year of uh, sort of analysing it to death and reading all the books in the bath. And um, then a year later, I went to the police and um, just to have a, a chat with them and see if there's anything we could do. And they said, you've got a case. So I took him to court and that took until I was 28 and a half. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and he, uh, we went through 15 months of waiting for a court date. And then the day before we were due to go to court, you put in a guilty plea. Right. So, yeah. So started when I was 19 and then the whole thing was over when I was 20 and a half. So that's a long time. And how are you now? Do you need to really kind of um, manage this while still being out of that situation? Or are you feeling quite healed from this now? Um, it's kind of, there's good days and bad days, I think going to court probably even though it's the hardest thing I've ever it was hard I, I hate to put people off mm-hmm. uh, I think if you've got an opportunity to deal with it legally then you should especially since when I went to court it was before the new domestic abuse bill had been brought in so I think if you've got a chance to go to court then do it but going through that was harder than being with him um, it was really really tough um, <clears throat> um but I think actually the the thing that I deal with the most still is just that I still struggle with functioning in a normal relationship. When I'm single, I'm great. Uh, it's only when I get together with someone else and I I find their sort of normal behavior very, very strange. And my first relationship that I got into uh, after Scott and I broke up, um, I was just trying, I was constantly trying to trying to fight him all the time because I was used to things like escalating and getting out of hand and so I would take things that were absolutely tiny and like be like right well it's time to fight now and he'd be like no there's nothing to fight about like calm down <laughs> so um yeah it's I mean I've, be, I've been out now longer than I was in it um so I when we were together for six years and so the day when it'd been six years and a day I took the day off work and I went for a massage and I drank Prosecco in the bath and had a little celebration um, to celebrate being away longer than I was with him. But it's still very much something that I deal with um, regularly, sadly. And I feel like it's something I'll probably be dealing with still for a long time. And I'm really lucky that I've got support and I don't have, you know, I don't have children or any other time constraints. You know, I'm really lucky. And I think of all the people who have, who aren't as privileged as I am, who are trying to process all of this and maybe never will. It's really, really tough. It requires so much work. Yeah. There's a book I read, so in April, when um, a guy that I'd went out with tried to get back with me, there was a book that I read that was called um, Should I Stay or Should I Go? And it was how to survive a narcissistic abusive relationship. And it was by Dr. Ramani. And I'll link you afterwards because it's a good read. It's very hard. So obviously if you went, I can't, read this actually but it's very good at working out what your trigger points are and helping you get back into a healthy relationship after obviously um because I found that really helpful to kind of sit in it, it for me it's weird but you know when people tell you that you're making things up or you're imagining things and then you you can never trust it so seeing someone on paper say this is the kind of things they might do and then you go fuck I wasn't making it up I I find that very helpful. Um, I don't know if you're the same, obviously. Um, yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, as I say, my mum made me go and get counselling like straight away because she'd sort of 
twig that there was something wrong. And uh, so I went for counselling and I was like, I'm fine. I don't know what my big fuss, everyone's making such a big fuss about nothing. And my counsellor was like, look, it sounds like this was abuse. And I still kind of didn't take her on. So uh, me being the way that I am, I bought a book called Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft. Um, And I went through it with a highlighter. And I was like, I'll highlight everything that I relate to. And if there's a lot of highlighter, then objectively, okay, I will agree that it was abusive. And it's this huge, thick book. And there's highlighter on like every page. And I was like, okay, yep, okay. (laughs) I'm going to like check that book out just because I'm an absolute book nerd. I read all the time. So I'll probably check that after the podcast. Um, And, you know, I know from Twitter, because you obviously tweeted this beautiful thing, which we'll touch on next, about how you had kind of been told that a year ago your book wouldn't do well and all this sort of stuff. And then a year later, you've got the CEO of Penguin literally saying to you, like, can't wait to read your book. It, it, that must have just been a fucking, like, not <laughs> completely healed, but that must have been a kick-ass moment of go fuck yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yes, it was, oh, yeah, it was great. Um, oh. Yeah, it was just it was just so perfect that it was just that that was exactly what he said to me was that I needed to get a grip of myself and realize I would never be a writer. So when I had that moment with the CEO, I did obviously take it a minute to enjoy it for myself. But of course, one of the first things I thought was like, ha, 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 fuck off. <laughs> um, and so and when I did that tweet, I really didn't think anything of it. And then, of course, it like took off and it's got, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of likes now. Um, that was wild. Um, but I had like all men replying to me saying, um, that I had to like, you know, get over it. Why are you still thinking about your ex all the time? You're obsessed. (laughs) I'm like, the book is about him. Leave me alone. (laughs) I would, that's so funny because, and I'm not saying all men are like this, but it often does feel quite apt when it's always men that seem to want to drop in a DM. I remember when, I had wrote on Facebook that I felt like sanitary products should be on the NHS for anyone that menstruates ages ago. Like, this is like two, three years ago on Facebook. And I had all these cis men commenting, being like, well, if if sanitary products were the NHS, I should be able to get things from my balding issues. And I thought, oh God, this isn't about you. This is about women and trans men. Shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I um, can't really they can't like put themselves in the shoes of anyone else i know we're painting with very broad strokes here but they can't like comprehend yeah like, existing oh. as anything other than themselves i know <laughs> i know i feel that that is why i'm kind of in that awkward moment of i don't want to date a guy but also i miss cuddles <laughs> 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 kind of like i wish you could hire someone to cuddle me <laughs> get them a covid test cuddle me get at my house <laughs> um right so you know, it's amazing to hear that obviously, you know, the feedback, what was it like when you had tweeted that and people, like, did you, because I looked earlier, obviously, just to double check and I saw the numbers and went, oh my God, because it's incredible. It makes me happy. I'm like, that's amazing for you. But like, did you expect that much feedback from a tweet like that you'd got? No. And it's just, I mean, I tweeted sort of things like that before because I'd already been working with Penguin for a little while by then, but it was just sort of a right place, right time thing and it was great that it struck a chord with so many people and um and lots of people were sharing similar stories like underneath which is fantastic and um yeah and I got interviewed on like an Irish radio station and I got to go on um Radio Scotland as well 
um it was really it was really bizarre but um yeah I I mean I'm just I'm glad that other people got the sort of like fist pumping moment out of it that I did um I mean yeah. I mean reading it I got the fist pump today and when did you tweet it oh it was like nearly two years ago <laughs> I still got a pin. I still got a pin there. I took it down for a while, and I was like, "No, do you know what? I still am so proud of it. I'm putting it back up." <laughs> Honestly, darling, you should be really proud of that. It, it, it is a great response, and it shows a lot that you've helped a lot of people. Like you know, so you work closely with Penguin Random House, and would you mind kind of talking a bit more about that, since that's kind of why this tweet happened? Yes. Um, so. When I started toying with the idea of writing a book, my friend Tara kept sending me writing competitions to enter and funding and things. And um, one of the, th- I, I assume that this is how I heard about it, but she sent me um, a competition called Penguin Random House Right Now. Um, right Now with a W. Cheeky. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's just you send them a thousand words of something that you're working on um, that you plan to turn into a book. And then it's basically like the X factor. (laughs) Uh, So it was something like, I think maybe 3,000 people entered the year that I entered. Uh, It was the second year that they'd done it. And then they cut the nearly 3,000 people down to 150 of us. And then they had three workshops they were all in England which was annoying um so I had to go down to Liverpool and we had a day in Liverpool and we got to meet the editor who had read our thousand words and answer questions about it with them and got to go to just different workshops about how publishing works and I got to meet with their legal team to talk about how memoirs work and all that kind of stuff and I met loads of other writers and then we had to just give them whatever else we had of the book and some people had the whole book basically done and dusted other people were like I've only got the 1000 words that I submitted this is a disaster and we had like two weeks to submit whatever we had and then they narrowed us down to 42 people and then finally down to 10 um and so I'm one of the 10 and they give you they sort of give you an editor and I still had mine in Michaela Pedlow who was the woman who read my very original submission so I've had her the whole way through and she's really championed me and then they spend a year with you helping you to get your book ready basically except it's supposed to sort of end after a year but that was nearly that was over two years ago I got taken on and I'm still working with Michaela like they don't just dump you so um so it's really you're supposed to get a literary agent first so this is kind of doing things a little bit backwards kind of um because I've already got my editor at Penguin so yeah Michaela's still working with me to get the book in in shape and then um I'm hoping it's going to be finished very soon because I feel like I've been writing it for a million years I'm so sick of it um so yeah and so we get to we've gotten to go down to like penguin headquarters and I got to meet the CEO at a welcome lunch that they had for us and it just so happened I was sitting opposite him um which was the best coincidence ever um so yeah they've really looked after after me I've been very very lucky and they've released quite a lot of books this way um and it's it's all um writers from marginalized backgrounds as well so it's a lot of LGBT writers and disabled writers and so it's a really really great program that's absolutely incredible so and I don't want you to kind of have to spoil because I'm obviously going to be one of the first people to buy this book when it's out (laughs) but have a brief overview of what the book's about if you wouldn't mind 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it's just basically my story over 10 years of my life from um, before who I was, who I was before I got into this relationship and afterwards. And I suppose we're trying to work out, um, I suppose we're still trying to work out how to include a little bit of the the aftermath as well. It's quite a difficult subject to write about completely interestingly, I suppose, especially once... Um, I get out of the relationship because I hate to use this word because the action kind of stops <laughs> to a certain extent <laughs> in terms of like a narrative. Um, so we're still kind of working out all the kinks, but it's essentially just this 10 year story of my life. So that's, yeah. that's amazing. And I know that a lot of people will find that really helpful. Like Lauren, like genuinely like other people that are maybe going through that might pick your book randomly from the shop, go home, read it and go, I need out of this you know if they don't want to get out of it but maybe them and their partner would want to go therapy who knows but I just think someone that sees your book that hopefully could make such a significant difference I mean it's making a difference by just being on this podcast you talking about it so I've got all the hope that this will definitely when it's out there and I was gonna ask kind of the next question which is probably I guess it's an interesting one to ask this because a lot of people have been like how have you found adapting your work to the pandemic and I'm intrigued, you know, for me, I'm still able to write during the pandemic. If anything, I'm probably writing more than I ever actually was. But has that actually maybe been a bit of an issue for you that you've not wanted to write as much or you've had to kind of maybe spend a bit more time writing out and about? Like I, at one point during summer, I was going and writing in a park because I wanted to get everything out of my house. Yes. Yep. I relate. Um I think, the well, the thing with memoir is that it's really difficult to write because you're always changing. So the point of view that you're writing from is always changing all the time and you get new perspectives on things all the time. And I've gone through some of the biggest life changes I have in a long time during the last, well, six months, basically. Um, so I ended my five and a half year relationship during the summer after the first lockdown um, and so so that happened and I had to move out and then I moved to Edinburgh and I got a new job and um the person that I broke up with um Mike will probably listen to this because he's really supportive and lovely um like it was a really amicable breakup but in some ways those are the hardest where nobody's done anything wrong it's just so yeah um and like this this is so not his fault but it's just when I was with Mike because he was the person that went through my court case with me he like read all the domestic abuse books he did all this research so he could support me better like he did everything he was supposed to do he was amazing but as long as I was with him it was always the abuse was always going to be the last thing that happened to me and it's 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 awful but sort of now that now that we've broken up it's sort of I have this incredible new buffer of time between me and it um and he works with uh, kids who have lived in houses with domestic abuse now because he got ended up getting so passionate about it. <laughs> um, yeah, he's just, he's the best. Um, so I suppose I've had such a huge perspective shift yeah. that has happened as a result of the pandemic on top of just the, I'm in my house working 10 to 6 every day and then I'm supposed to have my tea and then go back to the desk that I was just sitting at all day to write my book. So sometimes I just, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> um so that I would say that's affected it. And also I found a little bit and I spoke to a couple of other people who have survived domestic abuse as well. And they said the same thing that initially when we went into lockdown, I found it really, I don't know this word has been misused to death, but I found it very triggering this thing of like having to stay in my house and being told 
what to do with my like where I could go and what I could do I found it very upsetting to begin with and I couldn't work out why and I realized oh that's why it's because I'm it's like I'm back there um but luckily I managed to get past that I thought I was being really dramatic until I spoke to other people who said that they were feeling the exact same way do you know Lauren like it's not me comparing my situation with what you're talking about by the way because I it's you know comparing often can be linked to invalidating people but all I would say is I empathize and totally understand what you mean about this taking the control away part. Like with yeah. issues, when I was ill, I wasn't in control. So it was quite ironic for me to be very ill um, and, you know, not being in control of that for the pandemic, getting put on this miraculous CF medication, which has been amazing, but not being able to test the water. So assuming that I'm still ill for like months. So the first four months I was like, I'm just well because I'm in the house and not seeing people. And when I see people, I will catch a cold and get very ill again. And that didn't happen, but that was what my brain was saying. And I understand what you mean that I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially when I did that webinar with the STUC. Um, and I watched the one the day before on the domestic abuse. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you're totally, with what you've said that that would have triggered you not being able to leave your house because it's so similar to different situations. It totally makes sense. I do. And it's funny for you to go, oh, this word triggered. I'm like, no, triggers are totally like a great word to use because they explain so much to people. Like, um, and it's so interesting hearing like how the writing things happen because it's that working from home thing that, you know, I was filming so much for work in my house and I'm very privileged that I've got like a spare room. So I was filming in like my spare room with my green screen, fancy stuff. But, you know, doing working at home and then having to like stay in the house and do nothing I was a bit like I feel like I'm not getting away from work if that makes sense yes yep and I can imagine that yeah in your other job being in that environment doing that all at the desk and I mean like oh now I've got back and write you're thinking fuck me I don't know what go back and do that I've just literally done it all day do you know what I mean um and so it's 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 such a shame to hear about your ex and you breaking up but I get the kind of impression that you're still staying friends and you've got yeah 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 we've got animals to, well we've got kind of got animals together as well so but he 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 got full custody which is totally right that's very long story about animals but basically it's right that he should have custody so I get animal updates a lot from about the two cats and the dog um so yes so we speak very very regularly um so it's yes it's just one of these sad things that was not meant to be um and I would love to set him up with someone, but he lives up in the middle of nowhere near Elgin. I keep to, I would want to set him up with somebody um, yeah. because he's he is fantastic. Well, do you know what? I find that lovely, Lauren, because like I've never stayed friends with a guy dated apart from one guy that I dated in summer during the pandemic. And um, we dated in July. He was so lovely, right? He had to go back to Lancashire to study at UCLan for two years. And I was sitting there like, I can't make a long distance <laughs> pandemic for two years work. I just can't. Like, and, um, and it was such a shame because I just remember saying to everyone, I was so heartbroken because he had to go back and he was like, I don't know if I can handle this. I was like, no, I can have. I'd say to all my friends like, oh, you know, I just thought the world's fucking me over. I finally meet a nice guy and he can't stay in the same city as me. <laughs> but we still talk as friends and I think that's lovely because we were like, let's look at the situation. It's not that we're not like into each other it just wouldn't work do you know what I mean like it wouldn't and that's healthy being able to stay friends with someone after that especially in light of what's happened TBS I think that again is how strong you are I would say um you keep and I'm just like oh you're feeling great <laughs> you're 
Um, me- uh, yeah, I haven't. I, he's my first ex I've stayed friends with. Although some of my exes decided to be very friendly during lockdown last year. People crawling out the woodwork because they're bored at home with their girlfriends. Lauren, <laughs> really well. Lauren, do you want to know what my new show is about? My third autobiographical show. First show was Wasted Youth, Me and My Sexual Assault, right? Second one was Lung Transplants and Cystic Fibrosis, but a drag show. This third drag show is every Zodiac that contacted me during the pandemic that I'd went out with. And honestly, I think I'm quite brass putting on my Tinder. I'm writing a new show about why men are shit proved me wrong. <laughs> but it's so true. Like, I'm doing a sort of, like, it was really weird, but the guy that I'd, like, had my first ever one-nighter with in CC's when I was, like, 18, who's, like, in 80s, messaged me the first week of the pandemic, and I went, I've not heard for you in, like, seven years why you add me on Facebook, you weirdo, but, like... It was people were so bored, and I had like I won't name him in case he listens, he won't. But I had a straight guy that had a girlfriend messaging me, and I was like, Are you off your head? Like, I'm flattered, but you've got a girlfriend, and me and her friends, like, not like best mates, otherwise, I'd like gal, but we were friends at school, and I thought, mm, This isn't what I behave like people. Yeah, a guy I went out with when I was 19 for, I swear to God, like two weeks when I was 19 and every time he, sp- uh, he gets in touch periodically and he acts, it's like, like, like I'm the one who got away or something. I'm like, we went out for like a fortnight <laughs> and, and he messaged me during, during the, during the first lockdown. And, and I asked, he said, oh, I'm just really bored because we're, we're shielding. Why? Because his wife has cancer. That's fucked. They have a toddler. I'd like, what? What? That. <laughs> a date a few weeks ago I wouldn't even care about talking about this actually I won't name names but on a date a few weeks ago right and this is very sex in the city and I'm loving it right um we just need Kim Cattrall back (laughs) I'm replacing Kim Cattrall um and yeah basically I went to date this guy that I dated like three years ago I was dating him and someone else I chose the other guy because I thought oh well he seems more put together this guy's a bit flaky the other guy was not good for me. So I was like, oh my God, maybe the world is sending me this guy again to kind of go for a second time and kind of get, make the right choice and met up with him. And honestly, it was just like, we'd agreed to bubble, agreed to go out. Three hours later, I just didn't feel that spark. I was like, you were bored and this is not a hobby to date someone right now. Like, do you know what I mean? And it was just because he messaged me out of the blue, you got this job in Fife, you're amazing, let's catch up. I went, I've not heard for you in about two years. Like, and you want to message me because I'm working in Fife. <laughs> like. An ex, an ex of mine messaged me, ask, like he lives up north. He messaged me asking, saying, oh, before you move, we should have like a one last, one last fling. He has a girlfriend he's been with for five years. And I was like, no, I don't think that that's a very good idea. And I told all my friends to make sure that I wouldn't do it as well because they would murder me. And I swear to God, two days later, he messaged me to tell me that she was pregnant. Oh, my God. What is wrong with, the, what is wrong with these men? What is wrong? <laughs> What's no wrong? <laughs> I could just do a whole podcast of just stories like, <laughs> like this. Do the same. <laughs> I, um, so, you know... It's so interesting hearing you talk about the writing job. What's the other job that you're doing then as well? Can you, I can imagine because it's maybe government, you've got to kind of watch what you say, but it'd just be interesting to hear what else you've been doing. 
Um, yes, my contract is very, very watertight. <laughs> um, but essentially, I work for uh, Deirdre Brock, who is the MP for Leith and Edinburgh North. Wow. And uh, I suppose, so I'm a caseworker, so I suppose I, I deal with um, with problems that constituents are having. And I think that's probably as far as my contract allows me to go. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I, the only reason I ask is just because I think juggling these two jobs that are both really intense, like, well done you for managing that, you know, like, bringing me on to my next question, what sort of things have you done during the pandemic to cope? Because you'll have your own kind of things going on, just like I've got mine, but universally, any, anyone that comes on, I like them to share some bits of advice they can give, because, you know, especially right now, I think we really kind of need that <laughs> um, advice. I'm one of these wankers that meditates now. I meditate. Same. Yeah. My boyfriend got me into it. Um, because one of the things that I struggle with, which I've been struggling with a lot more because I'm at home with my brain all the time, is that I, I feel really, really, this is going to sound probably mad, but we're all mad. <laughs> so I get very stressed at how small I am. Like everyone finds space so interesting. I try not to think about space because the earth is very high up. And I think of how high up in space that there's nothing below me. And like, there's so much out either side of me. I just feel so small and tiny all the time. And I start to get onto like, just that the human race is so small. Isn't it weird that jobs are a thing? And like, anyway, that's, so I just keep thinking about how small I am and it makes me very stressed. And so I find that meditation really helps because then the only thing I'm focusing on is just that I've only got my brain. That's the only thing I can control so meditation's been really, really good for that. Um, and I do yoga every day. I'm also one of those arseholes. Um, there was the whole banana bread in, in lockdown one that has not reappear, reappeared in lockdown two. Lauren, you just read me to filth because I have literally made banana bread today. <laughs> I make banana bread every Monday, but today I did it because I like was busy on Monday. And I like to yoga every Friday. <laughs> You're like, I'm one of those arseholes. And I'm like, well, call me a huge arsehole. <laughs> I sometimes do yoga twice a day now. It's but good for you. Do you know why it's good for you, though? I mean, as much as we're joking about being arseholes, right? Anyone listening? The reason it's good for you is if you're working from home, your back is hunching so badly. Yep, 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 yep. And yep. I felt that. I mean, I've got quite a bad posture from having CF, right? Which is my own thing. But even then, when working from home, I have been like, I need to do this because I'm feeling myself hunch all the time. And I think it's great. You do it twice a day. And I do meditation. I do this meditation exercise that a book that I think if you're like me, you might really benefit from um, checking out because it might be something you'd like to read um, called Keeping the Love You Find by Harville Hendricks, which is all about kind of finding love for yourself, then being able to find a new relationship that you know what your triggers are and manage them, which I thought was just really helpful for me. But that kind of had said, oh, here's a meditation exercise that kind of helps you long term. And I thought, all right, and every night I do it, Lauren, and I cry every night. It makes it so heavy. You've got to record yourself saying it, and then you have to do it with music on, and I cry. And it's great, because I kind of get that release, and I go to bed, and I completely fall asleep. It's so lovely. That does sound good. That does sound like... Because my counsellor's been encouraging me to do mirror work, which is my idea of hell, uh, which is, yes, yeah, saying, like, positive affirmations to yourself in the mirror. And I'm, like, Miss Cynical, so this is, like, not my bag at all. She's like, I really think it would be good for you, Lauren. Um, so that sounds like quite a nice halfway house because I used to I started doing yoga when I was going through my court case actually and I used to cry every night after yoga really 
Yeah. Interesting. Do you know what I would just offer you and my listeners as well right now for the, ma- for the sort of mantra and affirmation stuff? What I've started doing is getting artwork that has quotes I love around the house. And oh, that's a nice idea. Two of them are Sex and City, obviously. But one of them was like Samantha, as I go in and out my bedroom, it's Samantha Jones saying, men may have you on your knees, but you've got them by the balls. And I thought, I need that empowerment right now to deal with men. But then in the kitchen, I've got one that's Carrie being like, so I just sat there and had a glass of wine. And I thought, that is how I need sometimes when you do this, you're like, we glass of wine, we glass of wine. And it, honestly, like it, that, finding sort of nice, lovely quotes that resonate with you and putting them around your house on the walls and art, that really is helping me right now because it's like, got one there, I'll read you it, right? And it's as I'm leaving the house at my like hall window, right? And it's Elizabeth Taylor that says, pour yourself a drink, put on some lipstick and pull yourself together. And I fucking love that quote. I live by that quote. As a drag, as a drag queen and being non-binary, I just love that quote. I think that's amazing. I've got a big portrait of myself next to where I sit at work and when I'm writing um it's a photograph that my best friend took of me when we went to Paris um about four years ago now so we'd both been to Paris with our horrible exes so we decided it was our 10-year anniversary of being friends so we decided to celebrate and go to Paris together and so it would sort of banish all the horrible memories of our horrible boyfriends which it totally did we did nothing touristy we sat around for four days days drinking red wine and eating cheese it was amazing and so she took a photo of me in the cafe that Amelie was filmed in and it's such a nice it is a really nice photo of me to be fair um so I when I moved to my new place in Edinburgh I got like this high quality print of it and framed it and I've got it so I sit and stare at like a nice picture of myself (laughs) I think that's beautiful self-love babe self-love that is to be (laughs) Oh, do you know what, Lauren? Like, I would just say, like, it's such a pleasure having you on the podcast. You know, what are your goals when, I mean, I hate to ask people this, I do, but what are your goals when the pandemic eventually finishes? Have you got any ideas for what you want to do when we return to normality, whatever normality will be? Um, well, I'm my my job is just a temporary contract until later this year, and so I'm thinking maybe I'll do something else, but I kind of don't know what yet. And by then we might know what's happening with the book when exactly it's coming out so um one of this kind of I mean it's not no goal is silly but I really want to learn how to write film scripts oh wow I can, that makes sense yeah it's a bit like random but I just always wanted to know how to do it and I've got books on it and I really like them and so I'm going to find some like online course to do about writing scripts I don't even care if I'm good at it I just want to I've just always wanted to do that however if I, I do turn out to be good at it then one day might I might win best original screenplay at the Oscars uh, and I do still, I do practice my um, acceptance speech when I'm in the shower. I do do that. Um, so, so if I want to work towards that, I have to start taking practical steps. So I'm going to go and do a course. I want to do a course on learning to write film scripts. For me, it's like I lie in the bath and I picture me on Graham Norton when I've released my EP and I'm famous as a drag pop star. <laughs> I totally do the Graham Norton one as well. And I imagine like who I would have on the sofa next to me as well. Same. It's always me. Grace Jones, Madonna, and RuPaul, maybe, because I'm like, yeah, we're on the same level now. <laughs> but he's out of drag, whereas I'm in drag, like, who are you? <laughs> and Madonna's like, what in a recorded duet with me? And I'm like, hun, when one supreme vanishes, another rises. Come on, let's let's get with the program here. Whereas Grace Jones and me are just getting steaming. That's it. It's so funny. Um, yeah, it, it's so great to hear that. And I actually do know some places in Edinburgh that have like young writers groups. So like I'll, after this, I'll send you some links that you could go to 
that would give you some encouragement to do it online, on Zoom and stuff, which would be really good for you to kind of, before you even do a course, just see if you really enjoy it and get some professional advice as opposed to being like, right, I'm going to go to Open Uni and do this now. You could just get advice from people that are actually doing it. Yeah. Oh, that sounds ace, thank you. Not at all. For this podcast, um, you know, because you've spoken so eloquently and beautifully about, well, not beautifully, I guess, but eloquently about your experiences and writing this book now about it, which I think is just so inspirational. What would you say to younger um, people that are going through this who kind of want to sort of maybe get out of it? What would you kind of suggest and kind of say to them? Um, the most interesting piece of information that I learned in doing all my research is that uh, the biggest indicator for whether someone will go on to be violent, like the most reliable sign is your intuition. Like of all the like red flags that we can like write down, the most reliable one is your gut instinct. And it was definitely something that happened to me where I was like, oh, I feel like there's just something a bit like off about this person, but they hadn't done anything wrong. So I don't have a right to break up with them. No, no, no. <laughs> if you are unhappy or you just feel like something's not right, you do not owe anyone an explanation, especially really early on in a relationship. Just you don't think it's right. That is enough. Um, so because I think yeah, we're such people pleasers. It's such a cultural issue. We are such people pleasers. And so I wish someone had said to me, you know, you feeling uncomfortable, your discomfort is enough reason to break up with someone. They don't have to do something wrong. Get You can get out before it starts. Um, this, another piece of advice would be, this is something that the counsellor that my mum sent me to told me, uh, there was a bit of a wake up call. She said to me, why do you not think that this relationship was abusive? And I said, oh, well, I didn't have any broken bones. Like that was my line for myself, which is so sad. But again, culturally, that's kind of how we talk about domestic abuse and these really extre in these extremes. And she said, domestic abuse isn't a spectrum. It's a line crossed. Someone crosses your line and then it's wrong. Everything past that line is wrong. There's no spectrum. And I wish I'd known that as well. Um, and sort of third and last piece of advice would be um, to, if you're in that situation, and you know you've sort of realised that it's that it's wrong would be to tell someone and to maybe tell someone that you know won't force you to leave that maybe sounds counterintuitive but I think one of the fears with telling people what's going on is a fear of change that someone's going to make you leave make you do something that you're not ready to do they're going to in fact put you in a more dangerous situation possibly because more than 70% of people who are killed by their abusers, it happens after they leave. That's the most dangerous time. So I think just telling someone that you know will not pressure you to like immediately change your life, but will just respect your decision if you decide to stay is really, really helpful. And it also means that when the time is right and you do feel ready to leave, you already have an ally, you already have sort of someone on the inside that knows what's going on. Lauren, that was like so powerful. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really value that. And, you know, in a weird kind of jump, I guess, what would you say to young writers that are listening who would maybe want to try and pursue writing a novel, some fiction during this? Like, you know, what would you say to them? Read, 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 and then read more. Um, I've just watched the Fran Lebowitz Netflix special, and she said, think before you speak, read before you think. I love that. And you know what? That's so interesting because I feel that every time I need... To advice and inspiration I read 
a hundred books. You know, I've got a hobby that I read psychology books for fun. You know, I'm always yeah. wanting to change my perspective and learn more about the world. Oh, honestly, it's just so great having you on this. Like, one thing we do different in season two that I didn't do in the first season of Afternoon Delight is I asked the question, what are we grateful for in 2021 and what did 2020 teach us? And I would love for you to kind of share your thoughts and feelings on that. Um, I think 2020 taught me to value my happiness in a new way, like on a new level. Um, that I made so many changes to my life. I, like how I was living this time last year, I could have carried on like that forever. I was like perfectly happy, but I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't living my best life. <laughs> I wasn't at my most content. And I thought, do you know what I can I I just valued my happiness enough to get out of a perfectly good situation to try for a great one. Um and 2021. This is so depressing that this is where we are now, but honestly, I just want all my grandparents to get through it. That's the only thing that I've been wanting. And uh, the start two of them get their jabs on Friday. So um yeah, that's like all I want for 2021. I, I don't care about anything else. Are you just grateful that they're getting the vaccine finally? Yeah. Yes. I know I'm very I'm so lucky. I'm 32 and I've still got all of my grandparents. Um and because I'm adopted by my stepdad, I've got an extra set. So I've got six grandparents to, that I've been worrying about a lot. Um, and I'm so so lucky to be at this age and still have them and I was and especially if I had lost them at this time where people aren't able to like grieve properly or be with loved ones it just would I just oh be just haven't thought about it it's just been horrendous so um yeah and a lot of them are vulnerable because you know they're old uh, so they're all falling to bits a little bit um so yeah that's all I care about is um is that my grandparents getting vaccinated and then I'll I'll be delighted I'm so pleased for you with that news. That's brilliant. You know, where can people follow you on social media for my listeners? Give yourself a shout out. I'm the Devil Wears Tartan on Twitter and Instagram. Um, loads of people added me on, keep adding me on LinkedIn, like because they see stuff about the book. I'm like, no, no. What an odd thing for people to follow you on. <laughs> Not a guess, but LinkedIn. Oh, Lauren. I knew this would be one of the best interviews I've done so far. I knew, but before we finish off, because we will need to finish, we ask every guest to bring uh, an inspirational quote or a quote that reflects who they are or a quote that just inspires them. And I would love for you to end the episode with sharing your quote for me. Sure. So my quote is by a writer called Anne Lamott. And she said, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better fantastic Lauren thank you so much for joining me this week oh, thank you for having me this has been ace level of respect I have for Lauren after this unbelievable I didn't actually anticipate we would cover domestic abuse on my podcast you know this podcast every time I message a guest or a guest messages me we are here fundamentally to give artists a platform to promote their work share their stories but wow we we, I can't thank Lauren enough for coming on and talking about this. And like I mentioned earlier, if you genuinely are worried about yourself or anyone else, there's a National Abuse Helpline with the number at the beginning that I can recommend. You know, I'm not a trained therapist as much as I like to think one day that I might be. I'm not. So if you genuinely have any concern, like Lauren mentioned, really, you know, that feeling in your stomach when you think something's not right, which I would consider a sense. Um those are the people to contact. And again, going to places like Women's Aid, 
if you're a woman that's went through these experiences, going to counselling services, going to your GP, you know, people are often in a position with these sort of jobs that they have to kind of um, give anonymity and take what you say at face value. And uh, I honestly just think it was so incredible, Lauren, to come on and bravely talk about this, such a raw, such a raw statement from her as well. Um, I... I was quite shell-shocked, to be honest, during the whole thing. I didn't even anticipate at all. And I know I've said that twice now, but I just didn't. And I thank Lauren so much from the bottom of my heart. After we did this conversation, I'd actually mentioned to Lauren that I'd always wanted to consider writing a book. And she said she'll happily help me investigate ways that I could try and get a draft submitted to something. And I honestly just really admire that. And Lauren, lots of love to you. You're genuinely a survivor and incredible. Next week, we have got two amazing guests, drag queen and starlet and icon Lady Rampant from Glasgow will be joining me to talk about her podcast, The Rampant Rundown, starting drag in Amsterdam and the ways that she feels drag can be discussed in politics, which is very interesting. And then I have a gorgeous DJ, Simon from Hot Mess, will be joining me to talk about bi-visibility in the queer community, like Lana Lou, and talking about the polyamory community, which I think is very important. I've never discussed polyamory in my, um, my podcast, so we've really got a treat next week for the Double Bill. I'm now signing out for the evening. Thank you so much for joining me for the Double Bill this week. But as always, stay safe. Please do check that number out if you feel at any point like you need to. And most importantly, remember to breathe. Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories. A local podcast for local artists.